0: Today on the Haking's Podcast, I'm joined again by T.J. Steele. T.J.'s taking time while he's running his swather to talk to us today. I'm really looking forward to hearing how his giant swather is performing and what his thoughts on his season are so far. Welcome, T.J. Are you on the road? (laughs) Yeah, I'm in the swather. Oh, okay. Are you still cutting? Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay <laughs>
2: my time to run is usually i man it just seems like no matter how hard i try you never get in the field of three o'clock you know by the time you get everybody else going and sure make all the rounds and all that that's one blessing for this big rig you can lay down a lot of product you know just after dark even.
0: right are you the only one running that big swather
2: yep Oh. Yeah, I've been the only one that's put every hour on it besides any road time. If we got to drive it very far, cause I don't have a trailer, I'll let the other guys hop in. It. Cruiser down the road, but as far as in the field, it's you know it's not a it's not the easiest machine to run, not because of its width, but just because of the way it operates from the header floats to the head speeds, and you know just conditions change and everything's kind of inconsistent It just changes. So.
0: You're saying you got to be fairly on top of it. Would you equate yes. it to run uh, to uh, running a big sprayer?
2: You know, running a square baler is probably easier if you understand the baler. Uh, this thing, you just, you've just you always got to be aware of the surroundings, looking behind you, you know, checking settings, and you, get, you go by feel. And a lot of it is the headers, the viscosity of the oil and the temperature through the day will change your float settings, and you don't know that. Until your headers are dragging Then you're either pushing dirt You know, you can feel them shaking the machine and, You know, if a person's not aware of that Or looking for it, just drive it You know, and they plow the ground And then wear the blades and
1: mm-hmm. all, the, all the high
2: dollar repair middle stuff Just right there, I turned around And it's set fine And you know, you get halfway through the field And all of a sudden one mower's 8 or 10 inches off the ground Just because of the difference in The you know, level of the ground it, it just It just changes It's kind of hard to it's one thing I'm trying to pinpoint, see where we can improve on. It's something that needs to be changed. You, you would have a hard time selling them. Um, if guys were, you know, like myself, I don't mind it, right? So you're covering so much ground. I don't mind the flaw here and there. And, uh, you know, where it's a machine designed and built in this way, I don't expect necessarily perfection like I would if I went and spent $175,000 for a massive, Mm-hmm. It's like, you guys have been building hay equipment for 50 years, you have no excuse, you know?
0: Right, this is an experiment, and of course something's not going to work perfect.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, you do everything without a computer, you know, this thing can be simplified fairly significantly on the header operation to put a computer on it, but, you know, what's your trade-off? Do you want a computer, or do you want the simplicity of direct line wires, and, hydraulic
0: lines what you're describing with feeling the dragging or paying attention to what's behind you is the difference between a warm body and a seat and an operator
2: and honestly most of the guys they you know they would love to but then on the other side they don't want to you know it's a responsibility level that you know they'd love to say they run the biggest swath in the world but you know they also don't want to have the wrath of tearing it up you know (laughs) you know like i tell them it's very important that you just catch things before it's catastrophic because we depend on it you know it's a sole mower and we cover a lot of ground with it and we run it, you know, over there in a pile of parts you know and i'm about to quit here so you'll get rid of the background noise and stuff i so, actually was pretty good timing i just made the very last round so
0: okay it's kind of fun to talk to you as you're running the biggest swather in the world <laughs> I think you're a pretty clear winner in that category right now. I don't think there's any challengers.
2: No. Well, you know, as we talk to others and get, you know, public feedback and, you know, it's, it's evident in our industry why there's not. I'm figuring out that there's just, you know, in our industry, I would say, like I've been explaining to some people that. Most equipment is designed for probably 85% of the territory and the operations. Mm-hmm. And the other 15% just has to get by. And I laugh, I make a joke out of it, and I just say, well, just so happens I actually live, reside, and work in the 15% that nobody else wanted to deal with.
0: <laughs> now, so, as you're describing this this 15% that nobody else wants to deal with, Will you share with us how many acres you're running that swather over?
2: Um, we completed our 19 season April about March 31st, April 1st, right in there of 2020, and I think we hit about 17 between 17 and 20,000 acres. I don't have an acre counter on it. Of course, I didn't have the GPS last year, so I didn't have that ability, but. I I don't think we got to 20 in one season with it, but I know we cleared 15 pretty easily. We uh, fired back up here. Got probably close to 5,000 acre wheat run to do with it. And then you just take each commodity as it comes to us and you just keep hammering forward.
0: Now, this is basically 100% custom harvest, right?
2: Yes. uh, we, We share... We're hired to do the complete job on about 50% of the work, and then I usually will take that income and then reinvest it in the purchase of the product, and, you know, we'll market it, we'll package it, you do all the same process, uh, but I'm going to, you know, market all that on my own. You know, even a lot of the big Baylor's production, that's kind of split. Some people hire you to do the job, and then some people just buy our product that says, hey, we need ten thousand tons of this product, go find and bail it, deliver it, grind it, and this is what we pay you for.
0: You're out there to make that deal so, make sense.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I gotta be the connection between the producer and you know, I'm the most most producers do not want to have to deal with the communications, the connection, the put the deal together. They just say, Hey, here's the stuff, get it out of our way and you're the guy for the job. Do your thing and uh, give us our share, and they're happy with that.
0: This 5,000 acre wheat run that you're on, uh, is that hay, or is that a silage product?
2: So it's all hay. We, once in a while, we'll mow and rake ahead of a chopper, but not very often anymore. Those margins are pretty tight for guys, and it's pretty difficult to get in. Not necessarily to get in. I mean, I know most of them, and there's a lot of them that are eyeballing this swather, but You know, we're busy enough on ours that I can't really lead a chopper. Mm -hmm. Um, I was right across the road from a chopper all day today, and you know, I'm sure they we both laugh at each other because they're out there running one MacDon, you know, 16 foot head with a merger on it, just I mean, blowing the dust behind them, going like a house of fire to drag race. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm over 250 acres while they're. They mowed a bunch of corners and some partial circles. I couldn't tell you the acres they did, but you know I'm cruising seven, seven and a half miles an hour and and, uh, mow a whole 250 acre, half a big circle. People really look (laughs) when you, you know, they're across the fence and two hours later you're far enough in they can't hardly see your your line of hay, you know, and it's like what's this guy doing over
1: here? Mm
2: -hmm. Honestly, I think this machine has probably turned our ability for profit around faster than anything that I have ever purchased in my entire life. when it comes to the custom. Custom side of the hay business or the hay business in general. Any piece of equipment, I mean, most of you and anybody that has listened to me, you know I've got a lot of beef with a lot of equipment. It's just because we spend enough money, we expect it to be right, and we expect it to do the job that we bought it for. And unfortunately, that's not always the case, I could say that this thing, even though it is kind of an R&D project and I have had to make improvements on it, that it's probably by far the leader of, you know, return on your investment for a piece of equipment that I've ever had.
0: You're talking about 17,000 acres through one swather in one year.
2: One swather, one year, one man. That's,
0: (laughs) That's, <laughs> I don't think there's anybody else in the world that's doing that kind of volume. <laughs>
2: well, you know, and I've, I've crawled on big swathers. and I'm not always about a brand bash, but we've used enough of them. You decipher and you pick through it. You know, you kick the rocks aside and you pick up the good. Mm-hmm. And we just got to a point where it's not that they were all bad, but there was just never enough of a profit of something good in a lot of it to really ever ever make it no machine i've ever ran could have done what this one has even as far as conditions mm-hmm. i mean we're out here running in green wheat and i'm over there running in corn stalks and you know chest tall milo stalks. Mm-hmm. and it's not about the the volume or necessarily its ability but it's adversity, dirty conditions i mean it's awful this thing is it, we really ought to be running dual air cleaners on it i mean the conditions are just they're terrible and even in green wheat i mean you'll have a radiator full of dirt and dust you know every few days and there's just not many machines that can handle that kind of dirt without overheating without just thrashing something and you know i have my concerns on this one but you know wayne and i have talked about it and his other uh, builder that it has to run in these conditions um, this is what it serves, and this is what I need. We've put the reversing fan on it. You know, it's non-def, so the exhaust temperature runs way cooler. And the airflow is good enough that all of the engine compartment is open, and I don't have hardly any debris that ever sets in any, you know, bad areas, hot areas to catch a fire. And we run in, you know, a lot of CRP grass. It's nothing but lint and trash. And, I mean, I've had to blow a radiator and an air filter out every. 30 or 45 minutes for, you know, days on end when you're in them kind of conditions. And and it takes it. You know, we put it through its paces last year to to learn that and uh, to just be able to figure out what works and what's not going to work. And and, uh, it made it to the end in every field. We mowed just because it was like 70 miles away and we had some small projects by our house. The only time we fired up another mower was for that job. By the time we paid the repair bill between two pool type swathers, and uh, part of them was operator error, part of them was just wear, and took us forever. Super frustrated just because it's like you step back into the world that we came out of and ended up hiring a guy with another self propelled disposed that's a friend that we worked together. I said, Hey, go over here and finish this job. And other than that, at Mode, this one machine did everything. And I said, from here on, I don't care if it takes me all day to drive that thing home. I'm just going to go get it because the repair bill, it's like you don't use the stuff every day now. So, you know, it's just never ready and it's overlooked and something happens and someone else is running it. and It's like it's just it always costs you more time and money and effort to uh, to try to change. I'm Tom Swin and I switched to the Vermeer TM 1410 Trailed Mower. The biggest impact is capacity. We're just getting more hay mowed. It's hard not to be impressed by a 20-foot mowing and how much you can get mowed in a couple of hours. We went from five acres an hour to 12-14 acres an hour real easily with this. And that's why I switched to the Vermeer TM 1410
0: Trailed Mower. Hear the full story at makinghay.com slash haykings. You just mentioned that you're using those two pull-behind machines and feels like you're going back to the Stone Age. You mentioned that 16-foot McDon with a merger. Remind me what the width on that swather is.
2: It's 47 feet, and it overlaps 3 inches on each head, so you're 40, 46, six right in there.
0: And running 7 miles an hour. what What kind of acres per hour are you getting out of that?
2: If you're running 6 miles an hour consistently, you're about 30, 35 acres an hour. You get up to 9 to 10, you'll be up in the 40s pretty easily. You got to get over 10 consistently to get into 50. The best record that I have was uh, right at 72 acres an hour in a cornfield that was a 550 acre circle, full section Um, not a tree in sight. You went all the way around from one side of the sprinkler to the other, you know, mile square with a circle in the middle. That's a lot of driving all the way around there. Pretty smooth field. We were running with the rows, no pivot tracks, 13 and a half mile an hour, carrying the heads about 10 inches off the ground to leave some stock height and covered 72 acres an hour.
0: That's amazing.
2: (laughs) I, I think I mowed that in basically seven hours. 'Cause it wasn't quite the full piece he had a milo out of, it, but I think it was seven hours. And they literally bailed there with two three by four conventional balers for over seven days. Jeez. <laughs> you know, and they laugh because it's like I can set on a swather two days a week and it takes two balers all week to ever catch you. And it's true, you know, you just it's it's just it's taken us to a whole different spectrum, um, you know, an ability. And there's some downsides to it. We gotta be really careful, like here in this green wheat. uh, Wheat is hard to dry. And we run on irrigated and we run on dry land. And -hmm. the dry land always dries faster. And when you start early, it's like it has a mind of its own and just say that you mow. we mowed the first field April 25th. And because of the maturity and the weather, it's like it it will never be ready to bale till about the 10th of may but it's funny then you can go on the 8th of may and lay down another field and it'll be ready on the 11th or 12th you know it's like they just there's a certain point where you've got to get past that threshold and then everything dries consistently
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you know you we just got to really take some management some thought process and knowing the guys you run on and you know, you'll run an irrigated field and then you'll do a dry land and Then you'll run an irrigated and then you'll do a dry land so our balers can run consistently or else you'll just back everything up. And we've got a terrible short window. Um, I really enjoy wheat, but it is a booger to bale. It's like alfalfa. It's got to be dried clear out and then moisture back in it. And if you don't get the moisture in it, I mean, it just grinds the powder Horrible bailing I mean, it's just—it's a booger to do, hmm. and it's fun, you know, because it's nice and green, and we don't get to do much of that in this area, you know. And but you earn it. I mean, it's all done at night. There's a camper over here sitting in the field behind me, and the boys will run the bailer till you can't sit in the seat, and you crawl in the camper, and you crash out till you can open your eyes, and you get up, and you do it again. And then when <laughs> it gets hot by mid afternoon, you go home and you go to bed. Hmm. But it's a tough—it's a tough old deal. You've got about three weeks to do all you can do. It makes the most sense. We run a draper head on a different machine as well on some light stuff. And it would make the most sense if we just, you know, open the throttle up on every mower, lay everything you can down, and then just hold your breath and bail it as it comes. But by the time you can mow so many more tons down than you can bale, and there's always somebody's hay that's too dry, and you're never here, and this guy's waiting to plant it's a battle i mean you really really have to be dedicated to it and i mean you got to understand the guys you're working for and the first project goes to silage corn so they're not playing corn if i'm there and i'm the hold up and, and uh, now you know you moved over here and now we're mowing 40 miles away from that one and we uh, bailed all night in one field to get him done because he was going to corn and i didn't even go home sun come up and you just drive over to the other one and get in the stack truck and Stack hay all afternoon until somebody else shows up, and then I can go home and go to bed. Still didn't go to bed because you had to work on a different baler, and I was up for about 39 hours straight. And there's a point in time where you just got to stop, but <laughs> it's a pretty brutal It's a brutal world. You know, it's just there's got to be easier ways to do it. That's one thing that I'm dedicated to. You know, swather's a big part of it, the big baler's part of it, even though it doesn't fit in this season of our process. but guys show up here to go to work and you say all right you know you're here at eight o'clock in the morning and uh you better bring your supper and your breakfast because you're going to watch the sun come up and they're like who do you think you are are you serious like do you really do this kind of stuff you know well there's a camper over here at the end of the fields when you get tired just go to bed like it's just foreign for for most people's minds and
0: to understand the right now nature of all this stuff yes yes I always describe it as it needs to be done yesterday, and I'm three days behind.
2: <laughs> yeah, and in this deal, it's like you're already behind. We're always behind, and that that's aggravating and very frustrating because I like to I like to be caught up. And when somebody calls, you know, hey, we'll be right there. Most of the guys are patient if they know the job you do. You know, they'll wait on you. But there's a certain time where it's too long. I mean, the week gets mature enough and. It changes their feed value, and then you know, and I'm the bad guy because I didn't get there. And I know enough that we get to a certain point, and I know I'm running out of time. And as the calls come in, you just say, "Hey, I can't get there. Uh, this is my time frame, if all goes well, and no guarantees. If you want to wait, wait. If you don't, then no offense to hire somebody else. And really, you'll still only lose about fifty percent of those jobs because they don't have a lot of options. And I would say. I would say it two ways that, you know, that leaves opportunity for other guys, but um, there are other guys, but some of them just don't cut it. They'll bid a job up or undercut somebody and they get in over their head and all of a sudden they, you know, can't get it done. And it's really frustrating because we make a living doing this. We know our costs. We know what it takes. And somebody comes in and cuts five, 10 bucks out from underneath of it and there ain't no way they make any money, but on paper it looks like they do. You know, I've got to wear anymore we've covered enough ground, and I don't have to prove nothing. We just are doing our job, just like anybody else that goes to town or goes to the office or whatever. You're we're just here to do our job, and we're going to do it with excellence. And and I've got nothing to to brag about. I've got nothing to prove. We're just doing our deal. And Just really try to relax in that. And I think that really shows for guys, too, that, you know, we just care about what we do. And, you know, my guys will tell you I'm kind of a little hard to work for, but I tell them that we do it with excellence. And if you can't, there ain't no reason to be here.
0: If you were here sitting in the studio with us and I said that I'm kind of a tyrant to work for during hay season, you'd see the crowd here in the studio nodding their head,
1: too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you.
2: And it just. It's always a learning curve. Every year is different. I used to try to line up all these jobs and just have everything in line. And and all my 10 years, almost 15 years here, I have never ran out of work. I've just realized anymore that we're just going to prepare ourselves um, the best with what you have. And you got to be very conservative with jumping out to buy a bunch of equipment to do something that you can't count on. And I'm going to wait. And this year... You know, we started with X number of acres. I wasn't sure what we'd have. I didn't even know if we'd really have enough to even satisfy trading round balers. But we did, just because I have to tell myself in the back of my mind, like, you know how this is going to turn out. It's this way every year. The calls just ain't come in. When they start coming in, everything doubles for about the first seven to ten days. You start with a thousand acres and then it's two thousand acres and then it's three thousand acres and it's five thousand acres and then it's all you can do and you gotta turn it away. But the wheat's doing pretty good. The irrigated is we're in this feed yard is a good yard. This this was the one you, a lot of drone footage last year of all the round bales and that three hundred and seventy acre circle and it's gonna make five to six bales to the acre. Um, not quite as good as it was last year, but still pretty good. And uh, the other circle that we did, or the other 500 acres we did over at the first yard, it's probably the second best we've ever cut off of him, which was pretty good. Could
0: uh, you uh, back up to that bales per acre and convert to tons?
2: So most of our bales are weighing right around 1,500 pounds.
0: That's uh, that's some pretty good tonnage there.
2: Yeah. You know, if it makes 10 bales, you're looking at...
0: Seven and a half tons.
2: Yeah, seven and a half tons. So pretty good. I mean, you just don't find... Every job you do out here is not like that. I mean, we got into another 100-acre field. I mowed with this swath, we don't have any windrowing attachment or anything on this big one. It just dumps straight down out of the crimpers in a wide windrow, and we, we do that for many reasons, but one, this machine can't have the windrowers on it. But mm-hmm. after we mowed it, we came back to rake it, and you couldn't even find it. I mean, it just fell down through the stubble, and it was thin. It was short. They grazed it, and when we baled... 18 bales off of 100 acres
1: uh-huh. and uh-huh.
2: you know you, you get into a lot of that stuff and and one field you'll look at you'll say oh it'll make two bales and it makes a half And the next field you say well it we'll won't make a half and it makes three so that's really hard to judge And i've learned how to price it accordingly over the years it just takes a lot of experience really to mm-hmm. float your way through it and and really to keep yourself out of a bad situation I mean, when I was in the learning stage of it, I guess I'm still in the learning stage. I don't think you're ever done. But the earlier time when I was getting my education in wheat hay, everybody would come and say, well, I bid it by the bale. You know, I just want to do it by the bale with one price. Well, I could put it together and I'd bid him a price. But one guy would make a bale to the acre Well, you swathed for absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. And then the next time, you know, it'd make four bales and and, hey, that, that that paid out pretty good. And then I finally learned that I said, nope, if they're hiring us to do it, they're going to pay us for every trip across the ground. we charge for the mower. We charge for the tedder. We charge for the rake. Um, we charge at least one pass apiece on those. Um, if they're pushing hard on us like this first place was, we tetted all that stuff three times and raked it all twice. And we'll, uh, we'll charge for most of those trips, but not every one of them. You know, I try to be – Try to be fair with it, but the stuff don't run for free either. So you've got you've to charge for it, and they understand. And as long as you do a good job, you know, they're usually pretty, pretty easy to get along with, but you've got to stay within reason. And you just know there's always somebody that will do it cheaper.
0: Right. There's always competition.
2: Always. Always is.
0: I hope I'm not keeping you from your bed.
2: <laughs> no. No, shoot. <clears throat> I'm actually... Looking across the dusty, hazy sky coming off the feed yard to the balers going around the circle, we finally got enough moisture for them to start. I'm going to go pick up one of those guys when we're finished, and he and I are going to drive about 30 miles to two square balers, and we're going to run two square balers tonight while the other two run the round balers, so we'll probably watch the sun come up. So
0: That gets back to the (laughs) needs-to-be-done-right-now.
2: Yep, yep. Oh, boy. And we were going to square bale, you know, we went through a square baler, and you know it's a used it's used baler it's been ours and we put a lot of bales through it and you put it through the shop and it just seems like no matter how much stuff you do everything you look at really needs to be fixed and you think you do until you get it to the field and you figure out you missed something so that stuff got a little shower on it so we took the baler back to the shop cleaned it out and done the other stuff and got it back together but that's the downtime and the breakdowns and that would be nice to run all brand new stuff but I have my reasons not to. I mean, we run some new equipment, but I'm pretty conservative on it anymore because the expense to run it is just really horrendous. And you got to be really careful in the custom deal. You know, you say, well, we got to have this baler. We need to have this machine. And if we had this machine, we could do this a lot quicker. And that's very true. But now you got to go find five more jobs to actually make the thing pay out. So you actually work harder to be in the same position almost if you didn't have it. I am to the point in my life where I don't need to be working harder, we need to be figuring out how to work a whole lot smarter and you take the expense side out of your equation instead of trying to hunt more income and all of a sudden your papers, your uh, financial statement changes a lot quicker that way.
0: That sure is a different thought process and I I really appreciate it and it's one of my favorite things about having you on the podcast here is getting getting inside your head thinking a little different
2: i visit with a lot of people about the way they think or they ask me questions about why i think this way or that way and, and most of the time my response is when you find yourself in a position that takes a different thought process to get you to the next level or out of a current situation you figure out that not everything has to be normal and you figure out that sometimes the way we do stuff, it's not that the way granddad did it was wrong, as much as what I find is what we've walked into in the last 10 years maybe actually isn't paying as well. Or maybe, you know, we're we're dropping pennies, you know, trying to pick up less or dropping dollars, picking up pennies. And you just, you go through that thought process and then you really look into what it takes. I know I've been taught and educated from some pretty large farmers that you know the paperwork and your your quickbooks and all them reports. I mean that's how you run an operation and that's where your decisions should be based and I think in a custom business in the hay industry there's not enough of those that that actually understand those numbers to where they can make wise decisions. And we end up chasing a theory and an idea and a dream that looks really good. And then we get there and can't figure out where the money went. But you spend it all on the way trying to get there. And that's very detrimental from a long-term perspective. When you're in the hay deal and, you know, I go back to the machinery just because it is our number one expense. So, Any other business, you're going to look at your expenses and say, "How do we control our highest, and are we efficient? And what are those bills? Well, it's machinery, it's personnel, it's your repair bill. That's your three big ones. How do we manage those?"
0: One of my mentors told me, "The dream only lasts till the money runs out."
2: Yeah. So I couldn't agree with that more.
0: So if you if you have something that you're headed toward, even even QuickBooks is a fairly simple software. Having that that is a baseline pretty important. Yes. I love what you said about getting to the next level and just thinking a little bit different to get there.
2: And you got to think long term, you know, you can, you you can think so short term that your thought process ended before the payment was ever made. You can't get there. You've got to keep moving. But I really have to condition my mind. I hate payments, man. And I, I hate having to spend that kind of money. And I really drag my feet to do it sometimes, but I also have to give myself the freedom to say, this is getting you to the next level. These payments are large, but you're utilizing them and they are paying for themselves. But I can't prove that unless I can see it on paper. I can think that, but your thought is usually always different. You know, your wants always exceed the money in your checkbook. Everybody, I mean, it's just the way it is. So you better make sure that that want and the need is putting the money back in your checkbook instead of taking it out of it. Even if you have to write the check out of it for the payment, there should be something left. If there's not, then we're going to a lot of work for very unnecessary reasons and you're not making it to the next level. You're actually just walking in a hole. You're going in a circle. And I've had to learn a lot of that stuff. And I listen to a lot of people and not in a judging way. And it's more of a kind heart, you know, compassionate person. And sometimes I just want to say... You know you bring up points have you thought about this have you looked at it from this angle and you know before long it's like you're walking on somebody's dream or an idea and i say no it's not that we're pessimistic we're a realist and you got to be real with the direction you're going before you can ever go there and if you can't accept that then you're going to find yourself where you didn't want to be
0: we're getting good plenty late and i know you got a night worth of work to go
2: yep no worries Well we're gonna pop out and go pick a kid up and make a road trip and See if we can set on a big baler for a while.
0: <laughs> well, stay safe and and uh, make lots of hay.
2: Thank you and I appreciate being on the podcast again.